We're going to open our Bibles this morning. And it was interesting as uh, Pastor Edwards was speaking last night, he didn't know that I was going to do Revelation 10 this morning. So we're going to do Revelation chapter 10. And by God's grace, we actually have a little bit more time than normal, so hopefully you've come ready to think. It's a good thing I get you in the early part of the day. This is when your brain is most attentive and active and alert. We're going to be studying, and in the process of studying, you're going to need to pay attention to the details. Is that okay? Uh, It won't be a great amount. I mean, it might be some preaching involved, but we're going to study. And so I want you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10. And some of you have handouts, some of you don't. If you don't have a handout, uh, I can get one to you later on. Um, But we're going to begin to study Revelation chapter 10, and we're going to begin reading at verse number 1. And it's going to probably take us about 40 minutes to get through verse 1 and 2. Okay? We're going to study. So Revelation chapter 10, we're going to begin reading at verse number one. The Bible says, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. Now, I first want to deal with this idea of this angel. Now, this is not a regular angel. This is a, what kind of angel? This is a mighty angel, and this angel comes down from heaven. Pay pay close attention. It's coming down from heaven, a mighty angel that comes down from heaven. And particularly, it is clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow is upon his head. Now, in order to understand the book of Revelation, we understand that all the books of the Bible meet in the book of Revelation. So there's no way to study the book of Revelation without studying the whole Bible. Okay? So in order to understand this, in order to make sure that we come to a point, I want you to to start thinking in your mind, we're not just going to stay in this passage, we're going to study the Bible. So in Revelation chapter 10, and I told him, Brother Narlan, I said last night when you said it, you didn't know I was going to do this today. So Revelation chapter 10, we find this cloud and a rainbow together. Now, the first time that this is mentioned, the first time that a rainbow and a cloud is mentioned together is in the book of Genesis. And what I've done, I put the verse on the screen, so that way we can just kind of see it together, how I highlighted it in my Bible, so you can see what I see. In Genesis chapter 9 and verse 13, it says, I do set my bow, where is it found, my friends? So the bow is in the cloud. And it shall be for a token of a, what's it say? Covenant. Now remember yesterday as we were going through, we saw that throughout all the generations there have been a people of the covenant. From the Adam and Eve all the way down now to the end of time of the remnant church, there has been a people that have been responsible for the covenant. So here I do set my bow in the cloud and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. 
and the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. I'm going to ask you a question, a question of observation. And every question I ask you is a simple question, not complicated. It will be obvious. So based on what we've read here, who is the covenant between? God, man, and what else? All the earth. There's a covenant that God is making between God, man, and all the earth. Please pay close attention. And he's coveting it. And I'm going to ask you this. It says here, and I find it interesting, it says, and I will remember my covenant. Now, is it necessary for God to put a rainbow to, for him to remember? No. So who is he really putting the rainbow for? Us. The intentionality with God, he's putting a rainbow in the cloud for, to remind us. Notice what else it says in verse 16. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. Now, this has become so very special to me. I, when I look at the nature now, I don't just look at nature like randomly. When I see a bow in the cloud, I think of God's promise, his everlasting covenant to me. Do you understand the idea? Every time I see it, it is a gospel message that God is speaking to me that he is not going to leave me on this planet to suffer great suffering much longer. And you're going to see why I'm saying that when we finish through Revelation chapter 10. But let's go a little bit further. So I have a quiz question for you. Just want to make sure. What does a bowl in a cloud symbolize? What does it symbolize? A covenant. I need you to say it with confidence, my friends. I won't, I won't chastise you if you do it wrong. But a bowl in a cloud is a symbol of what, my friends? A covenant. A covenant. So when we see this angel in Revelation chapter 10, and I'll read it once more, I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head. This is a symbol of a covenant. This angel is no ordinary angel. This is a covenant-keeping angel. Are you following? Let's go a little bit further. So then I wanted to look at this idea dealing with the cloud. And I went through as many passages as I could to, to understand the relevancy of why is it that the Bible is highlighting that this angel is clothed in a cloud. So I'm going to put a couple of things here. Exodus chapter 13, verse 21, it says, And the Lord went before them by day in the pillar of cloud to lead them the way, and by night in pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. Verse 16, I mean chapter 16, verse 10. And it came to pass as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel that they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Again, in Exodus chapter 19, verse 9, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud. Based on these verses, who comes in the cloud? The Lord does. God does. In fact, if we were to go back and do a Old Testament study and we were to look at that angel that was with them in the pillar of cloud as they went through the wilderness, that angel was no ordinary angel. That angel was Jesus pre-incarnate. So I will appear in a cloud. Divinity, divinity appears in a cloud. But let's go a little bit further. Watch this. Leviticus 16, verse 2 says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil, 
before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not, for I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Leviticus 16, 13. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he die not. Do you notice that the cloud is for protection? And it's for protection not, from, not, not for God, but from God. It is a means of veiling glory. The cloud is designed as protection. Numbers chapter 12, verse 5 says, And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth. So again, repetitively, over and over and over again in this Old Testament and all throughout Scripture, divinity appears in a cloud. So when we read in Revelation chapter 10, there's no ordinary angel. This angel is a covenant-keeping angel. This angel is divine. Now, don't get, me, don't get it twisted. <laughs> We're not talking about a, 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 an angel. The word angel simply means what, my friends? What does the word angel mean? It means messenger. It doesn't always mean that they have wings and they're flying. But it means that they are a messenger. This is a mighty angel directly from heaven with a covenant, and he is divine. But wait, there's more. Let's go a little bit further here. Deuteronomy 5, verse 22 says, The words of the Lord spake unto all your assembly in the mount of the mist of the fire of the cloud. So the words of the Lord were spoken through the mist of the fire of the cloud and of the thick darkness with a great voice. And he added no more. And he wrote them in two tables of stone and delivered them unto me. So note that from the cloud comes now the spoken word regarding the covenant. All right. Are you following? First Kings chapter eight and verse 10. And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. Now this principle we're going to unpack uh, more so as we go along on the next time I speak. Now, we've dealt with this idea of cloud. Now, go back to Revelation chapter 10. Go back to verse 1. I want you to pay attention. There's going to be a quiz right now. Are you ready for your quiz? Revelation chapter 10, verse 1 says, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head. Question, what does a cloud and a rainbow together symbolize? Covenant. And who alone appears in a cloud? That's right, divinity, the Lord, God. Now let's look at Psalm 72 and verse 17. Psalm 72 and verse 17. Now we're going to look at his face shining like the sun. Psalm 72 and verse 17. The Bible says his name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun. And men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. Now I have a, a quick question here. The sun that shines today, the sun that is going to beam on us in the 80s today, that sun that shines today, is it a different sun than that which shone in the day of Adam? Is that different? No, it's the same sun. It's, a, it's, it's quote unquote, everlasting. 
It's enduring. So whatever the characteristic that God is showing here with the angel's face shining like the sun, the character of this person, the beaming of the glory of this angel is such that it is enduring. It is everlasting. Let's go a little bit further. Psalms 89, look at verse 36. Psalms 89 and verse 36. Notice again the underlining principle, the underlining concept. Psalms 89 and verse 36, it says, His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. Now, this is what you call a Hebrew parallelism. So, when it does something like that, the first sentence will say something, uh, the sky is blue. And then it will say, the, the oceans are the same color. Well, in other words, one line contrasts the other line. They say the same thing. The ocean is blue and the sky is blue. Okay? So in this passage, in verse 36, it says, His sea shall endure, how long? Forever. And his throne as the sun before me. So the sun, forever, and his seed, forever. There's that contrasting idea there, Hebrew parallelism. You follow the idea? So when his face shines like the sun... The face is God symbolizing his enduringness or his everlastingness. Now, mind you, there's going to be a quiz again shortly. And I do this intentionally so that we make sure we stay on track. So the face shining like the sun is a symbol of what? Enduringness. Everlastingness. Let's go a little bit further. I want to investigate a wonderful story. It's in the book of Exodus. It's going to help us understand even more clearly Revelation chapter 10. We're now in the book of Exodus chapter 34, and we're going to begin reading at verse number 29. Exodus 34 and verse 29. Actually, let's go to verse 28 because I find it fascinating. Verse 28 is fascinating. So let's read 28, and then we'll read 29. 28 says, and he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He did neither eat bread nor drink water. Tell me, how is that possible? Now, this is Moses in the presence of God. Listen to me, friends. And I think this is an important point for us to understand, especially as we come down to the last days of earth's history. Moses is in the presence of God. Do you think that he was, because how many of you fasted, like, from food? All right. When you fast from food, probably about the third day, you know, um, you start kind of adapting to your pain. First and second day is, like, really bad. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> food smells start wafting in. You're ready, ready to give up. Lord, I said I was going to fast, but it's too much. But can you imagine 40 days of no food? We just, we just talked about water being an essential part of life. How is it that he lasted 40 days and 40 nights with no food and no water? You know what? The presence of God himself was his sustenance. You, we have to remember that, like, for real, for real, if I take a piece of fruit and I eat it, what's happening is God is just sharing part of his life with me through that fruit. Are you hearing what I'm saying? All life 
comes from God. If we are in his presence, if we are doing his will, he is the source. So, you know, in the last days, you won't be able to buy or sell. You won't be able to. But who's the source? Elijah is by the brook Cherith. He doesn't have any food or anything except that God speaks to the ravens. The ravens bring him food. God is his source. Don't ever think your job is your source. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? God is your source. He is your sustenance. Moses is in the presence of God, and he is sustained by God himself. And in this experience, God gives him something. It says, and he wrote upon the tables the words of the, what's it say? Of the covenant. Well, that's interesting. The words of the covenant, and then it defines it. What's the covenant? The Ten Commandments. And it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mount, that Moses wist not, or he did not know, that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. Remember I told you, I think the other day, I told you one of my, one of my greatest prayers, my greatest desire, is I want to be in the presence of God so much so that my face is on fire. I want to be in his presence so much so that my face is on fire. It's glowing by being in the presence of God. Moses is a type of the people that will live in the last hours of earth's history. Moses was in the most holy place. He was in the very presence of God. When he went to meet God, take your shoes off your feet. So his face is shining. He doesn't, they, he doesn't really know it. Verse 30 says, And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh him. Verse 31, And Moses called unto them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned unto him, and Moses talked with them. And after all the children of Israel came nigh, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai, until Moses had done speaking with them, he put a, what's it say, my friends? He put a veil on his face. Now, I, I uh, was thinking about this in relation to Adam and Eve. Remember, we can't study the Bible without connecting all these beautiful parts, right? So here comes God in the cool of the day like he normally would. Remember, we talked about this. And when he came in the cool of the day like he normally would, when he came near, after they had eaten the fruit, what did, the, what did they do? Adam and Eve ran. They hid themselves. They went and got some fig leaves. They, they, they would, if you could say this, they tried to light themselves back up. You have, what you have to do is go look at the, how they used to make uh, photography and lamps, and they would take the, the elements of the fig leaf to, in order to make light. So Adam and Eve had those super, supernatural eyes, you know what I'm saying? And they would look at that fig leaf, and they said, that fig leaf has light in it, and I need to light myself back up. I need to put that back on. I need to cover my nakedness because they had lost that light connection with their most high God. So here, when God comes close, and listen to me carefully, my friends. When God comes close to us and we are separated from him, our natural response is to run and hide because what's going to happen is what we're about to be exposed. When Moses comes from the mount and his face is shining, it's not his glory that he's shining with. Whose glory does he have? 
So he's shining with God's glory, and he's walking amongst the people, and the people run in a different direction. So in order to come close to the people, he veils himself. Y'all not hear what I'm saying? In order to come close to the people, he veils himself so that he can communicate the realities of the covenant. Now, mind you, in Revelation chapter 10, the angel clothes himself with a cloud. He's veiling himself. It's not even the full glory. He veils himself so that he can come down and communicate the realities of this covenant relationship that God is seeking to have with man. Verse 35 says, And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. And Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went in to speak with God. I thought that's interesting. Sometimes, my friends, listen to me carefully. Sometimes, my friends, you have greater light than others. And sometimes we want to come with full glory. Sometimes we need to veil ourselves. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But let's go a little bit further. We're going to the book of Hebrews now. The book of Hebrews, chapter 10. We're actually going to begin reading at verse 19. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to begin reading at verse 19. And notice what the Bible says. And again, pay close attention. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. It says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Verse 20, by a new and living way, which he have consecrated for us through the, what's it say, my friends? Through the veil, that is to say his what? Are you getting it so far? Remember, Moses is in the mountaintop. He receives a covenant from God. He comes down from the mountaintop. His face is glowing. The people cannot stand what, he see, what they see, so he veils himself so that he can communicate the realities of the gospel to the people. Now we see Jesus in verse 20. I read it again. By a new and living way, which he have consecrated for us through the veil... And you thought when we said veil initially, we were talking about a curtain. But here, in particular, the writer of Hebrews emphasizes that the veil is his flesh. Now, to highlight this even more so, let's drill down. Let's drill down on this. John chapter 1. Remember I told you every day we're going to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Now watch carefully John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, it says, and I repeat, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was what, my friends? God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 14, 
and the word was made. What's the word? Please give me, if you are paying attention as a wonderful Bible student, as I know you are, please give me the alternative word for flesh. And the word was veiled. So, mind you, Moses goes up to receive the covenant from God. In the presence of God, now his face is shining. He comes down to the people. The people are afraid. So he has to veil himself to communicate the realities of the covenant. Jesus, in verse 18, tells us, it says, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Jesus, in the very presence of God, leaves the presence of God, veiled in flesh to communicate the realities of the covenant to his children. Now, mind you, if Jesus had not done this, if Jesus had just come full bore in his perfect glory and his pure perfection, you and I would cease to exist. A, B, on the, on the, minimally, when he would come down, we would flee to all corners. But Jesus veils himself in flesh. He puts this on. I still, I mean, you got you to today... Because I'm fascinated by you today. When you find some free time, please just go by yourself and pinch your skin. Divinity put this on. It's just hard to fathom. It's hard to understand. But he veils himself with the intentionality that he can communicate the realities of the covenant so you don't run from God. He wants to come close. He's demonstrating to you how the covenant works, even in this flesh, even in this. But let's go a little bit further. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. And we're going to actually read verse 1. And it's very fascinating how Matthew 17 is set up because if you were to, if we were to study Revelation chapter 11, Matthew 17 kind of is really cool. But we're not going to do that right now. We're just going to stay in Revelation chapter 10. So in Revelation, uh, Matthew chapter 17, look at verse number 1. And we're going to start there. It says, After six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a, what's it say, my friends? Do you notice, do you notice that whenever this covenant is being given or these wonderful experiences are being had, it's happening in a high place? It's in a high mountain. It's, it's away from what the norms of the, the, the doldrums of the world are, but it's in a place where there's special communion taking place. It's very interesting, too, that the pagans would take the high places. But it says in verse number one again, and after six days, Jesus taking Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringing them up into a high mountain apart, separate. The intention of the convocation is the same. And was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the, what's it say, my friends? As the sun. And his raiment was white as the light. Are you seeing it? It's almost like I don't have to say anything. His face shines like the sun. 
He's raiment is white as the light. He comes down from God with a covenant to his people. Same thing in Revelation chapter 10. Are you following the idea? But let's go a little bit further. Let's just nail this down even further. I want to go to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. And I'm showing you because many of us have known in Revelation chapter 10, this angel is none other than Jesus Christ, the divine son of God. Many of us have known it, but we have never seen how to show it from the scripture. Moses is a type of Christ. Revelation chapter 1, look here, and then Christ is Christ himself. Revelation chapter 1, look at verse number 12. We're going to read 12 through 16. It says, and I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girded about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth with a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Do you see it? Jesus' face shone like the sun. Moses' face shines like the sun. The Revelation 10 angel's face shines like the sun. This is none other. In Revelation chapter 10, this, this angel is none other than Jesus Christ the righteous. Now, here's the quiz time, quiz time, quiz time. I need you to talk back to me just so I know that you're with me. A bowl in a cloud is a symbol of what, my friends? Covenant. And who alone appears in a cloud? Who alone? Divinity or the Lord. And as we've gone through the types now, through Moses and then through Jesus Christ himself, and then Revelation 1 we know is Jesus, with all these types that we have here, this angel could be none other than Jesus himself. So now we know who the messenger is. Now we know the great import of the message and who it is coming from. He is coming down from heaven with a special covenant message to his people. It's imperative that we understand this. Let's go a little bit further. So let's identify, go back to Revelation 10 for a second. Go back to Revelation 10. We are just now getting to the end of verse number one. Do you guys see that? You, do, you, do you understand that when you really study the Bible, when you take your time, you start digging, you start digging, you take your time, it begins to unearth and unlock strict, beautiful treasures that normally would not be gotten if you're just kind of like, Father, have a thank you for this day, thank you for this day, amen. Okay, 30 minutes, all right, we're done with devotion, gotta go! And listen, this ability to open a Bible, compare text with text, is not limited to me or to any other presenter that stands in front to teach. Every one of us has a responsibility to be students of the word. Every one of us has a responsibility to open our Bibles and say, Father, please help me understand for myself the truths that you have for me. Sometimes, listen to me, I'm going to say this real quiet so you don't think I'm angry. Sometimes we feel comfortable in the intensity of the preacher because he's so convicted that it must be true. It's not always true. He could be intensely wrong. 
I can be intensely wrong. To, be, to feel safe because you can come to a convocation here or a camp meeting there and your favorite preacher is there, it doesn't mean that you're safe. You must know for yourself. You must take time yourself to study. And it's interesting, you know, it, it, the longer you, you're around this stuff, the more you can just kind of just quote it back. Like you've heard it, so you can quote me, and you can quote it back, but it doesn't mean you know. You need to know for yourself. And I'm not talking about know for yourself. I'm talking about know for yourself. You get the difference? This is head knowledge. This is all knowledge. This is heart knowledge. This is experiential knowledge. You need to know for yourself. So let's look at the pillars of fire. Revelation 10 verse 1, it says, And his feet were as the feet of pillars of fire. Why pillars, feet like pillars of fire? We're going to read several passages. As we read the passages, at the end of reading the passages, I will not make any commentary in regards to the passages themselves. We're going to read the passages, and then you are going to tell me why feet like pillars of fire. Is that okay? Let's begin. Exodus chapter 13, we're not going to put it on the screen, you're going to open your Bibles and look there. Exodus chapter 13, and we're looking at verse 21. Exodus chapter 13, and we're looking at verse 21. I will read with no commentary, and upon the finishing of all the passages here, except for Numbers 14, 14, we're going to give an answer. All right? So Exodus 13, 21, the Bible says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. Verse 22, and he took not away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Next passage, Exodus chapter 14, verse 24. Exodus chapter 14 and verse 24. The Bible says, and it came to pass that in the morning watch, the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the hosts of the Egyptians. Very good. Let's go to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9. And we're looking at verse number 12. Nehemiah chapter 9. And we're looking at verse number 12. The Bible says, Moreover, thou leddest them in the day by a cloudy pillar, and in the night by a pillar of fire, to give them light in the way wherein they should go. Verse 19. Yet thou in thy manifold mercies Forsookest them not in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud departed not from them by day to lead them in the way, neither the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way wherein they should go. Now that we have finished our reading, please tell me, dear diligent, competent students, 
What is the purpose and intent of feet like pillars of fire? To lead them in the way. To lead them in the way. Now, I'm just going to show you an interesting contrast because we're Bible students here, right? So I'm going to show you a contrast. Go back to the book of Revelation. Notice that in Revelation chapter 10, the feet are like pillars of fire. But in Revelation chapter 1, there's a little difference. So in Revelation chapter 1, go back to Revelation chapter 1, and look at verse number 15. And again, nuances in the book of Revelation are important. Revelation chapter 1 verse 15 says, And his feet like unto, what's it say? Fine brass as if they burned, where my friends? In a furnace. So it's similar, the imagery is similar, but there's a slight difference. Now, I'm not going to tell you why it's different in Revelation chapter 1 versus Revelation chapter 10. The intent of Revelation 10 is to show that God is leading even in times of darkness. Pillar of cloud by day to lead in the way, pillar of fire by night to lead and guide them in the path as it is dark. In fact, I would dare say that it probably gets chilly in the wilderness. Huh? I would even think that the Lord himself would warm his children as they're walking in the way in the wilderness. Just a thought. But let's go a little bit further. So here it is. Moreover, in a pillar of cloud, thou lettest them by day, and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light in the way that they should go. Isn't that beautiful? So let's do a quick review. And when I do this, friends, I always do reviews. So let's start from the very beginning, Revelation chapter 10, verse 1. We have completed verse 1. I told you it was going to take us 40 minutes to do verse 1 and 2. So verse 1, a cloud and a rainbow together is a symbol of what, my friends? A covenant. Who alone comes in a cloud? Who alone comes in a cloud? Divinity alone comes in a cloud. And we also saw his face shining like the sun. Anybody remember what that's about? It's enduring. Very good. And why does God have, uh, have a symbol of his feet like pillars of fire? What is that indicating? He's leading in the way. He's leading in the time, and particularly if it's fire, is leading in darkness. If it's clouds, he's leading in day. Everybody follow so far? You guys are doing good. You're doing good. I'm, I'm happy for you. you. I can see your brains popping. The, the neurons are boom, boom, boom. You're going. Very good. Let's go a little bit further. So now we have in Revelation chapter 10, verse 2. It says, And he had in his hand a little book open. And he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth. Now, I don't remember exactly what direction I went here. So here's a little book open. Now, this is not the best picture of the angel. I mean, I wouldn't do this picture like this, okay? But this is the best one I could find online. So this angel has a book. And if you're an artist or something and you know a better picture, please send me one. (laughs) But this picture here, uh, he has a little book in his hand. Please notice. Please notice that his, uh, here we go, here we go. Please notice that his feet, one's on the water, one's on the land. You see that? One's on the water, one's on the land. Just keep that in mind. And, and it's interesting. They say a picture is worth how many words? A thousand words. So God intentionally creates this imagery to kind of just give us a, a, an, a stamped visual of his intent in this wonderful plan. So let's go a little bit further. 
So the book is open in his hand. And my question is, is there another book that had been sealed? Now, before someone tells me the, the book of Daniel, which is true, and that's actually very accurate. It's very true and very accurate. Before we go outside the book of Revelation, let's stay in the book of Revelation for a moment. Now, as we stay in the book of Revelation, we're going to see something. We're going to consider Revelation chapter 5 as we seek to understand the little book in its totality. So before we go to Revelation 5, I want to take you to Revelation chapter 1. Notice Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1 says, the revelation of, who does it say, my friends? Please remember that. The book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. I thought that was interesting. Notice, God gave to Jesus to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his, what's it say? Angel unto his servant, John. Then it says in verse 4, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Now, I put a little chart here for my, I do this for myself. Literally, like when I do these things, I really don't do it so you guys can understand it. I do it so I can understand it, but it might help you, you know. I'm not trying to be selfish, but I'm just. But this might be helpful if you would do this at home. If you, I don't, you don't have to take PowerPoint. You can take a pencil. You can draw it. You know, everything doesn't have to always be in words. You can draw pictures and help you understand the concepts that the Bible is trying to bring out. So here, Revelation chapter 1. God gives it to Jesus. Jesus gives it to the angel. The angel gives it to John. And John gives it to the seven churches. That's, that's how the dissemination of the information is given. Directly from the throne of God to Jesus. Jesus gives it to the angel. The angel gives it to John. John now is to give it to the seven churches. Now, I found a pattern. I find patterns. You stare at something long enough, you'll see something. Revelation chapter 5. Go to Revelation chapter 5 now. Revelation chapter 5. Watch. Revelation chapter 5. And I love this chapter too, my friends. I, I, I don't know. This is just... I'm having a good time whether you're sleepy or not. Revelation chapter 5 verse 1 says, And I saw on the right hand of him. Where's, where's this book at, my friends? All right. So I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. So again, I pay attention to the details. Because the book is written on both sides sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. So I'm going to pause for a second. And I usually ask this question. I'm just going to give you the answer. See, normally when I ask this question, I say, Who is this person sitting in the throne and some people say Jesus I say no this is God the father sitting in the throne and God the father has a book and the book is sealed the book is so important John doesn't even know what's in the book he doesn't even know what's in the book but he already starts to cry and the book is so important notice now notice how important the book is and again I'll read it it says verse 2 I saw a strong angel or a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book 
and to loose the seals thereof. And no man in heaven, that would be whether it be Enoch or Elijah, right? Nor in earth, neither under the earth. What does that mean, under the earth? Are there human beings under the earth? These are people that have passed away. So literally, this book is so important. John doesn't even understand. The angel's asking the question, who can open it? They go, Enoch can't open it. Elijah can't open it. Moses can't open it. Who can open the book? Well, let's look on planet Earth. Anybody down there can open it? Anybody worthy to open that book down there? Nope, nobody on it. Maybe someone that died. They look in the grave, go through the records. No one in the grave is able to open the book. This book is important. My, I'm t- listen, <laughs> this book is important. So, they come to a place here. And, uh, wait, and not only is it important, but not anybody's even able to look on it. What kind of book is that? Verse 4 says, And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. Mm. Then one of the elders said unto me, Listen to this now, friends. Weep not. Behold the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath, what's the word, my friends? What's that word? Now, if you don't know me, you, if you haven't known me for many years, if you're just getting to know me, one of my favorite words, top five words in all the Bible, is the word prevail. My other word is until. The word until in the Bible is one of the best words in all of Scripture. And my, one of my second favorite is prevailed. Now, watch this. He have prevailed. Now, my question would be, how did he prevail? He prevailed to open the book and loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a, what's it say, my friends? Stood a lamb, as it had been slain. Now, mind you, most, when I went online to look for a picture for this, <laughs> I only found lambs that were, the neck was cut, laying there, dying. The text doesn't say that. The text says that he has prevailed. The text says that the lamb is standing. That means the lamb has conquered. The lamb has won. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So here, I'm looking at the text and I'm saying, okay, how did you do that? How did he prevail? He stood as if he had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Verse 6 is actually a hint towards the outpouring of Pentecost. Just a thought. Verse 7, and he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. Interesting. Please note, the lamb takes the book. See Revelation 1? God gives it to Jesus. Jesus gives it to the angel. The angel gives it to John. John to the seven churches. Here, God has a book written on both sides. And the lamb is the only one that is able and worthy enough to take the book out of his hand. Oh, now watch this. I don't want to go too far in this direction, but I just I do want to go a little bit further. It says in verse number eight. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. So there's some intercession going on. And watch verse 9. 
And they sung a, verse 9 now, and they sung, what kind of song? Tell me, is a new song an old song? Again, I ask obvious questions for obvious reasons. A new song is a new song, yes? I'll say a new song is a song that is new. Can't use the same words to describe words, right? A new song is a song that has never been sang before. Now watch. It's a new song because this song, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up a little bit. You know, back in the day uh, when I was younger, we would have song service in church, and people would not really sing. They'd be like, and the song service leader would be like, sing louder. <laughs> try, just try to, engage, try to make people sing. Do, do you know what? True songs come from experience. You see, if I sing, would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power. In... No, somebody that sings that, that believes that, has experienced that, I don't have to tell them to sing louder. There's no need to say that because the experience of the individual matches the internal, uh, 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 it matches their encounter with their God. So there's no need. If we do a song service here, I will never tell you to sing louder. If you're not singing, it's because you don't know. If you're bored, it's because you don't know. You have not yet experienced. You have not come close to the almighty God where God desires to come close to you. It says they sang a new song. Now watch. And, and with the new song, I always want to know the lyrics, you see? It says, and they sung a new song saying, hear the lyrics, hear the lyrics. Remember, it's a new song. And they sang a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. Well, why are you worthy? For thou was slain. So wait, the reason why I know that this passage is not talking about 1844, the reason why I know this, because it's a new song, which means there was an experience directly related with this, with this happening, and they're saying in their lyrics, because thou was slain. You have had victory. You have conquered. You were slain, but now you have redeemed us. Listen now, and mind you, um, let me go a little further. I want to show you something else, but it won't be today. It says, For thou hast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every what? Kindred and what? Tongue and what? People and what? And has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign upon the earth. All right. So we have here God to the Lamb. I'm going to throw this out to you. The next time we see a book, the next time we see a portion of a book is when the angel comes down in Revelation 10. The angel gives it to John in Revelation chapter 10. And John gives it to the world. Thou must prophesy again. Notice there's a direct parallel in this experience. I'm going to show you something else. I wonder if I put it here already. Oh, yes. Now, what is this book written on both sides? So you can understand where I'm coming from. We're going to look now at Exodus chapter 32, verse 15. Exodus 32, verse 15. And I, what I did was I went through as much of the Bible as I could. And I only found two places where something was written on both sides. One is in Exodus chapter 32. The other is in the book of Ezekiel. 
but we're just going to do Exodus 32 for now. And if you find another place, I'll be happy to add that to the arsenal. I'm quite sure we'll just add to the point. Exodus 32, verse 15. Are you guys okay? Yes? Okay. Exodus 32, verse 15. It says, And Moses turned and went down from the mount, and the two tables of testimony were in his hand. The tables were written on both their sides. And on the one side and on the other were they written. So please note that these tables are written on both sides, just like in Revelation chapter 5, verse 1, where this book is written on both sides. You can find, again, the same concept in Ezekiel chapter, I believe it's chapter 2, but we're not going there at the moment. So this idea is that this, that this word is written on both sides. We're going to look at another name for the tables here in Deuteronomy chapter 9. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 9, and we're reading verse number 9. Deuteronomy chapter 9, and we're looking at verse number 9. It says, When I was gone up into the mount to receive the tables of stone, even the tables of the, what's it say, my friends? Covenant, which the Lord made for you, then I abode in the mount forty days and forty nights, I neither did eat bread nor drink water. And the Lord delivered unto me two tables of stone written with the finger of God, and on them was written according to all the words which the Lord spake with you in the mount out of the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And it came to pass at the end of 40 days and 40 nights that the Lord gave me the two tables of stone, even the tables of the, what's it say? So I'm going to suggest to you, you don't have to believe this. I suggest that you go back and look at it thoroughly on your own. That this book that is written on both sides is based upon God's covenant. Okay? And I want to show you a quotation. This is from 12MR 296 paragraph 3. Watch carefully. There in his open hand lay the book. The roll of the history of God's providences, the prophetic history of how many nations? The nations and the church. Watch this. Herein was contained in this book that the divine utterances, his authority, his commandments, his laws, the whole symbolic counsel of the eternal, and the history of all ruling powers in the nations in symbolic language was contained in that role, the influence of every nation, tongue, and people from the beginning of Earth's history to its what? Now listen, 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 listen. So remember, and it's interesting. Before I found that quote, the principle was established in my mind from the text. The text emphasized in my mind, okay, whatever's in this book, is based on the law and will be judged on this law. Then this quote came to me. And I said, well, that's interesting. Look at it. Hearing what's contained in the divine utterances, his authority, his commandments, his laws, the whole symbolic council, the whole symbolic council of the eternal and the history of all ruling powers in the nations in symbolic language was contained in that role. Listen now, the influence of every nation, 
tongue, and people from the beginning of earth's history to its close. So in this big book contains everything. Everybody follow that? So in Revelation chapter 10, the angel comes down not with a big book, but with a what size book? A little book. This little book is part of the, the big book. Are you following the idea? All right. Stay with me. Do you need to stretch? Are you getting sleepy? Do you need to stretch? You need to stand? We still got about, <clears throat> good, I don't know, 20 minutes. Are you okay? Okay, because we're, we're, we're going to go further. All right? I'm not stopping. Let's go. So here's our quick review. Cloud means divinity comes in a cloud. A cloud and a rainbow together is a symbol of the everlasting covenant. Face like the sun shows the enduringness of God. And Jesus is highlighted as the one whose face is shining as the sun. We have pillars of fire, which means God is leading his people, especially in times of darkness. And we haven't even got to the feet on the earth and the sea. So let's get there. Let's get there. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 24. I'm going to use about two or three of those passages, but you can look at two or three of the top passages. Then we're going to begin a slight transition in how we're thinking in the bottom portion. So Deuteronomy chapter 11, we're going to begin at verse 24. Watch carefully. Again, principle being established. Deuteronomy 11, verse 24 says, Every place wherein the soles of your feet shall tread shall be yours. From the wilderness and Lebanon, from the river, the river Euphrates, even to the uttermost sea shall your coast be. Verse 25, there shall no man be able to stand before you, for the Lord your God shall lay the fear of you and the dread of you upon all the land that ye shall tread upon, as he hath said unto you. So based on this passage, if, if someone puts their feet on the land, what is that a symbol of? What is God, what is God promising? That's right. He's promising authority over that. He's promising the conquering of that land. Let's go a little bit further. Joshua 1, verse 3. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 3. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 3, the Bible says, Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. Okay, do you see it? Where the feet go, if God says go and you put your foot there, that territory is your, is your territory. It's conquered already. So when I see the angel put his foot on the sea, and I see the angel put his foot on the earth, he is claiming territory. Are you seeing it? All right, so he's claiming territory. I want you to make a mental observation, or you can actually go to your Bible, but it says in Revelation chapter 13, and I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, upon his heads the name blasphemy. We saw a beast come up out of the sea. Wait, we also see a beast come up out of the earth. In fact, because I don't want to misquote this one. I kind of have it in my head, but I kind of don't. But I, I want to just read it directly. Look at Revelation 13. Look at verse number 11. It says, And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb. And he spake how? So watch. The angel says, 
I own land and sea. The enemy says, I'm going to raise up powers on land and sea. Direct contrast to what God has claimed. We're in a war. Remember I told you from the first day, we're in the midst of a warfare. This is a spiritual warfare. And here the Bible is just giving us this imagery so we can begin to see the contrast of this warfare. Now, transition slightly. All the passages above uh, in white there show God's people conquering. The passages below show something else. You're now going to go to the book of Daniel, chapter 8. Daniel, chapter 8. Daniel, chapter 8, and now we're looking at verse number 7. Daniel, chapter 8, and verse number 7. And we're dealing with this idea of things being under the feet, okay? Daniel, chapter 8, and verse number 7. Now, in Daniel 8, you have the ram and the he-goat, right? Medo-Persia, Greece, this conflict that's happening. Now, there's a, there's a butting of heads, and I'm going to show you here in verse number 7. It says, And I saw him come close unto the ram, and he moved with choler. And that word choler simply means anger. Right? And he moved with choler against him, and smote the ram, and brake his two horns. And there was no power in the ram to stand before him. But he cast him down to the ground, and stamped upon him. And there was none that could deliver the ram out of his hand. So, for a moment, if you will, if you would be so kind, if the he-goat is stamping upon the ram, what is that saying? He's being conquered by this, 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 this creature. Is that right, everybody? All right, let's go a little bit further. Verse 10, same chapter. Verse 10 says, And it waxed great, even to the host of heaven, and cast down some of the hosts and of the stars to the ground, and stamped upon them. Now, what is that a symbol of? Now, what we don't have to do, we don't have to guess about what this host and stars is. Somebody would say, oh, the host and stars are angels. But in this context, Gabriel is the interpreter. So Gabriel will tell us what the host and stars represent. So go over with me, same chapter, and I want us to read in verse number 23 and 24. All right? Pay close attention. It says, In the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully, and shall prosper, and practice, and shall destroy, what's it say right there? Keep reading for me. The mighty and what? Okay. So the host and stars, as interpreted by Gabriel, are the mighty and holy people. Now, this is a problem. You see, if God is in the midst of us, and we are fighting on his side, God does not know failure. God's people are not to be conquered. So when I read this, it tells me there's something 
There's something wrong. It's like a glitch in the, in the connection in the wire. Like it's plugged in, but something's wrong with the connection. It's like it's not working because the powers of the earth are never to conquer the people of God. And I'm going to show you why. Go back to verse 10, same chapter. It says again, and it waxed great even to the hosts of heaven and cast down some of the hosts and stars to the ground and stamped upon them. Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the hosts. The prince of the hosts is Jesus. And by him, the daily was taken away and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Verse 12, and an host was given him against the daily by reason of transgression and it cast down the truth to the ground and it practiced and prospered. So there are two things here I just want to highlight. Make sure you're with me. If the hosts and stars are cast to the ground and stamped upon, what does that mean? So they're being dominated, right? The people of God are being dominated. But we just read all these passages, wherever the people of God go, wherever they feet go, they're supposed to conquer. But in this context, they are being stamped upon. Does everybody get that? All right, great. Well, let's go a little bit further. I want to go to Revelation chapter 11, verse 2. Revelation 11, 2. Notice this. Revelation 11 and verse 2. It says, But the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot. How long? So the holy city, tread underfoot. What does that mean again? They're being dominated by a foreign and wicked power. All right, keep that in mind. So we have this dragon. We have this leopard. Sea beast, earth beast, all seeking to come up against God. Now, go back to Revelation chapter 10 for a moment. You're going to see something uh, right here. We're going to now read verse number 3. So we've gone to what, verse 1. We've gone to verse 3. I mean, verse 2. Let's go to verse number 3. Without a quiz. I'm not giving you a quiz. There will be a quiz soon. So start reviewing in your mind <laughs> some of the points that we've covered. So verse 3 says, And he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. And when he cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. So let's go here. You see this passage? Let's see if I can. Okay. So it says, For thus have the... For, let me do it this way. Is that what, I can't see. I can see over here, but if I point this way, I, there we go. There we go. For thus have the Lord spoken unto me, like as of the lion, and the young lion roaring on his prey. For thus have the Lord spoken unto me, like as the lion. So how has the Lord spoken? Like a what? And the young lion roaring on his prey. When a multitude of shepherds is called forth against him, he will not be afraid of their voice, nor abase himself for the noise of them. So shall the Lord of hosts come down. Where, he's coming where? Yes. So shall the Lord of hosts come down to fight 
for Mount Zion and for the heel thereof. So notice the text. The Lord is now symbolized as a lion. Apparently, there are these people that are seeking to, to attack his people. One time we were in church, and um, I was sitting with my daughter. At that time, she was small, like uh, Brother Narlin's little girl. It was even smaller, more like um, 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 brother, brother Brandon and Sister Sharetta's little baby. And I'm holding my baby, minding my business, enjoying church. This lady walks up to me and doesn't speak to me. She goes directly from my child. Seeks to put her hands on my child. As she's doing this, she begins to speak to me and says, I am the godmother of this child. Now, I've never really talked to this lady before. How are you claiming that you're the godmother of my child? I was about to roar like a lion. She said, I, I spoke to your wife in the hallway. And she said, I said, no, no, no. I, first, I don't believe it, number one. Number two, get your hands off my child, woman. Like, this was in church. I couldn't believe it. About to, and in my mind, I'm thinking, and those of you who have children, you can, you can relate to this, or if you have little ones that you care about, if someone does anything, anything to my baby, I'm coming for you. You might think that's ungodly. That's not ungodly. That's godly. Don't mess with my children, is what he's saying. When he roars like a lion, he is roaring with authority. He sees that his people are being trampled upon, and he's making an announcement. Take your hands off my children. I hope you hear what I'm saying. Are you hearing what I'm saying? In fact, let's go a little bit further. I want to go to the book of, and there's so many to go to right here, but time is running from me. Let's go to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 12. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 12. Psalms, Proverbs. Proverbs, Proverbs 19. Again, watch what the scriptures are saying. Proverbs 19, verse 12. <laughs> Look at what it says. The king's wrath is as the roaring of a lion. Do you see it? The king's wrath is as the roaring of a lion, but his favor is as dew upon the grass. That's a Hebrew parallelism right there. I don't have time to do with the favor part right now. I'm going to deal with the wrath part. Proverbs 20, verse 2. Watch what the Bible says. Watch what it says. The fear of a king, the fear of a king is as the roaring of the lion. What's our thing? The king is coming. Now, listen, I, I, I've almost, I almost want to be like, I, I almost want to do like a, a mantra, you know. The king is coming. The king is coming. You know, like, I, I almost feel like I want to do that because the reality is, my friends, if we can get that in our mind, that our king is coming, that he's coming to fight for his people, then we would stop being halfway in the world and halfway in the church. Our king is coming. He is roaring like a lion. He is coming with great wrath to deal with those who have been in opposition to his law, to his principles, to his way of life, because they are now 
if, it's, it's interesting. I, I actually think, and I, I could be 100% wrong, I actually think that if people that chose to be wicked would just choose to be wicked and not mess with the righteous, then God would leave them alone. But it's inevitable, and it's in the nature of the wicked, to stamp out all light. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Eventually, my friends, if you don't choose righteousness in its totality, that one sin that you hold on secretly to will neutralize all the power of the gospel. Well, let's think about this for a moment. What's all the power of the gospel? Think about it. All the power of the gospel. When Jesus rose from the dead, he conquered death himself. We're talking about resurrection power neutralized. How can you neutralize resurrection power? How can you neutralize creative power? He speaks and it's done. How can you neutralize it? It's very simple. Just hold on to sin. And sin doesn't stay in one place. It cannot be contained. It cannot be contained forever. It must be destroyed. It is infectious. It dist- I almost see it like this. Again, forgive me for my strange imagination. My sister, can you come here for a moment? Just for a second. So I'm going to touch her. Use your imagination. Now I touched her. Sin now in me now goes to her. It's on her right now. Sis, will you go touch that man right there in the green? Boom. Now it's just spreading. Remember, Adam and Eve at the tree. Sin, it was localized. It was localized. Thank you. Thank you, sis. It was localized. But sin cannot be neutralized, my friends. It must be destroyed. You, you, you try to do it in your house. Try, try to just have that one DVD. It will multiply. Try to say, I'm only going to watch this one YouTube channel. It will multiply. Try to say, I'm only going to eat this little bit. No one's going to know about it. I tell you, it cannot be controlled. It cannot be controlled, my friends. So it's almost like when you look, look at Calvary for a moment, I just want you to take your mind there for a second. Here Jesus is on the cross. All of sin now, all of sin, even the sins, even the sins that people did not confess were on Jesus at Calvary. Jesus died and suffered for sin, even for the atheist or the agnostic. All of that is on this person at the cross. He is trying to neutralize it. Do you understand? He's trying to take it into himself. He's taking the punishment for all of humanity, even though he knows humanity in its totality will not accept. Jesus suffers for those who don't even realize that he's suffering for them. Why does he do that? Why does he do it? He does it for love, yes, but he does it so you can have a choice. You see, if he doesn't take it for all, if he doesn't take it for all, they would not have a choice. They will be slaves to sin. But at least he could say, I have given you a tree of life. Brother Nolan said something that was powerful last night. I wrote it down. But this one point, man, it just, it just seared into my mind. And I know it was the Holy Spirit speaking. And I, I probably won't even be able to say the exact same way, but this is how it came to me. When he spoke last night, he said, 
when he's talking about Ephraim. Remember Ephraim? He, was, uh, he said about Ephraim, he said, God did not give up on Ephraim. Ephraim gave up on God. I thought for a second, I thought for a second, I said, oh, I understand. Do you see that it's impossible to be lost if you want to be saved? If you want to be saved, I'm telling you, God is working overtime. Do you, listen, if I could just put my life on the screen, you would kill me to say, Brother Waller, you should be sitting down right now. He works overtime, all the time, pleading and pulling and pleading and pulling. He doesn't give up. Do you know who gives up? I give up. I can't, I can't do this. This is too hard. Being a Christian is too hard. That's why the angel of the covenant comes down and he says, I am the angel of the covenant. I will write my law in your heart. I will make you a Christian. I will put enmity in your heart. I will do this, he says. We have tried to do it so long on our own that we've made Christianity a galling yoke. The angel comes down. He says, I put my foot on the land and see. I have conquered. He comes roaring like a lion. These are my children. The question is, are you his child? Will you let him save you? Will you let him do a supernatural work inside of you? The king is coming, my friends. Now, I know they won't let us in the breakfast for another 15 minutes. Is it okay if I go another 15? Amos chapter 3. Hosea, Amos. Amos chapter 3. I want you to see this. Amos chapter 3, verse 4. And again, we're going to run into a Hebrew parallelism. Amos chapter 3 and verse 4, the Bible says, Will a lion roar in the forest when he hath no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den if he have taken nothing? And the answer to both of those things is no. If he's roaring, it's because he has a prey. In fact, when a lion roars, the intentionality of the lion roaring is to freeze his prey. When he opens his mouth, rawr, the animal's like, oh. And then the lion just walks over <laughs> and has dinner. Will the lion roar when he has no prey? The answer is no. Verse 8 now. The lion hath roared, who will not fear? The Lord hath spoken, who can but prophesy? Now again. That's that Hebrew parallel. I wish I had a board. I, 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 what I need to do is make a graphic of it. So in this passage, the passage is highlighting something very simple, and I'm going to show you here. The lion have roared is equal to the Lord has spoken. So if you were to write that on your paper, the lion have roared equals the Lord has spoken. Then it says, who will not fear? So the response of the lion, lion roaring is fear. God not hearing this thing. 
the Lord has spoken, someone must prophesy. The line has roared equals God has spoken. The results of the line roaring is fear. The results of the Lord speaking is prophecy. Revelation chapter 10. Go there. Back to Revelation chapter 10. Watch. Revelation chapter 10, verse 3. <laughs> Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, And he cried with a loud voice, and when a lion roareth, and when he had cried, seven thunders uttered there. What's it say? Oh, there's a prophecy. The lion roared, and then there's a prophecy. Seven thunders uttered their voices. Now, I don't know if I'm going to be able to see what, I, what happens here. Yes. So let's do it with the seven thunders. Seven thunders. Let's go to Job 40, verse 9. There's so, you see all those texts there. All those texts are beautiful, and they are all very, very important. Psalms. But we are not going to cover all of those. We're going to go to Job 40 and verse 9. So you can understand seven thunders. Who is prophesying? The lion of roared, who is prophesying? Job 40, verse 9. It says, Hast thou an arm like God, or canst thou thunder with a voice like him? So what is the Bible equating God's voice like? Great. You're doing a great job. Psalms 18, verse 13. Psalms 18, Psalms 18, verse 13. Watch again. Psalms 18, verse 13. The Bible says, The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the highest gave his voice. So notice, the voice, thunder, the highest. Again, God's voice is equivalent to thunder. I want to go down to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. And again, all these passages say the same thing. Like literally, if you go through all of them, all these, the voices like thunder are all God's voices. John chapter 12. Watch carefully. <laughs> and it's, it's very interesting. John chapter 12. We're now going to read from verse 23. That'd be, well, let's start at verse 23. John 12 verse, verse 23. And Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come, the Son of Man shall be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, that's so powerful, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, I'm not going to say that. But because for this hour I have come forth. Verse 28. Father, watch this now, glorify thy name. So Jesus is speaking. He speaks to the Father. And what happens? Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said, an angel spake unto him. So what did the people hear? Who, who spoke? God. When God spoke, the people heard, some heard thunder. Others said an angel actually spoke. Isn't that interesting? 
So here in Revelation chapter 10, the lion roars and seven thunders uttered their, their voices. If you were to look at Psalms 29, we're not going to go there, but if you look at Psalm 29, God's voice is mentioned seven times in a row in that, in that chapter. Seven thunders, seven times. Now what was said? Now I've got to see if I actually have time to unlock it. I probably don't. Oh, yes, let's do this. Before I go there, I want you to uh, go back to Revelation chapter 10. I want you to get this imagery stuck in your brain. And I'm going to go to Revelation 10, and then we're going to go to Daniel chapter 12. And then we're going to go to what I'm going to show you on the screen. So in Revelation chapter 10, I want to read down a little bit further. We have been going meticulously through each verse. Um, I haven't told you what the seven thunders are as yet, except that it is the voice of God. I haven't told you what the prophecy is as yet, because that's going to be shared probably a little bit later. We'll see how far I can get. But I want to read a list a little bit further. I want to show you something. Verse 4. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. So don't write them. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created the heaven and the things that therein are, and the earth and the things that there that therein are, and the, sea, and the sea and the things which are therein, that there should be, what's it say? What's it say, my friends? Okay, so we have imagery. Foot on the sea, foot on the earth. He lifts up his hands to heaven. After the seven thunders have spoken, and he cries out, there shall be time no longer. Did you do that when you read your Bible? Did you read that? That's what I saw when I read my Bible. He cries out, no longer, no more time. Why? Why do you say that? Go back with me. Book of Daniel now. Daniel chapter 12. We're covering quite a bit of ground here, even though we've only got to four verses. I want us to read beginning at verse number four. Remember, we were talking about an open book, a sealed book, so forth and so on. Daniel 12, we're going to start reading at verse number 4. Hmm. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Now, this is the book, particularly the little book that's being spoken of in Revelation. Even to the time of the end, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Mind you, Running to and fro and knowledge being increased has nothing to do with airplanes, automobiles, police trucks, nothing like this. You know how they studied the Bible back in the day? They would take a scroll, because the Bibles were in scrolls. They would un the scroll would stretch from one part of the room, and I roll it out, and that's the book of Isaiah, chapter 1. Untake the scroll, roll it out. That's the next book. You understand what I'm saying? Like, they're unrunning scroll. So when they were studying, they would run to, what's that say? They would run to and fro to understand the scriptures. Knowledge shall be increased. It has nothing to do with airplanes, astronauts. It has everything to do with the knowledge of the Bible. Are you following the idea? So Watch. They shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, there stood other two, 
the one on this side of the bank of the river and the other on that side of the bank of the river. And one said to the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters, rivers of the water, how long shall it be until the end of these wonders? That's the question. How long shall it be to the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, that it shall be for a time, times, and a half. Pause. How long is it going to be as God's people are being persecuted and prosecuted and beat down and destroyed? He answers. Till a time, time and a half. Next part says, until the, uh, the, the powers of the people, what does it say right there? Until the, the powers of the holy people shall be what? Scattered. Stay with me. There shall be time no longer. Phrase. We read here, there's a, a, a being who I'm going to suggest to you is Jesus still. He stands upon the water. He lifts up his hands to heaven and he swears. It's the same thing that happened in Revelation chapter 10, except in Revelation chapter 10, his feet are on the water and on the land and he swears. When he swears in, Reve in Daniel chapter 12, he swears and he says, time, times, and a half time. But in Revelation chapter 10, he has foot on land and sea, and he says, no time. Are you with me? You with me? I want to show you something else. Notice the question is, how long shall it be to the end of these wonders? Go back to Daniel chapter 8. Watch this. In Daniel chapter 8, one of the most revered texts within Adventism, one of the most very little understood text in Adventism. Daniel chapter 8, look at verse number 13. Pay close attention. Look at what's happening. Daniel 8 verse 13 says, Then I heard one saint speaking unto another saint, and, and said unto that certain saint which spake, How long shall be the vision concerning the daily? And the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be what? Well, again, it's something that's trodden underfoot. What does that mean? Okay, so in, both in Daniel 8, 13 and in, Reve uh, and in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 7, we see God's people either being scattered or they're, or they're being trampled underfoot. Revelation 10, no more time. Verse 14, unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be what, my friends? Cleansed. Oh, so my friends, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this with you. As I was trying to understand why we are so uniquely what we are, I asked the Lord to show me the why. Like, what, what is the, because you can say, under 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. And you could be right, like, that's right. But why is that right? Like, why is that important? Is he just painting the building in heaven? Is that the intent? You see, if you go back and you look at the children of Israel, when, and in Ezekiel chapter 9 and Ezekiel 11, you'll see that what happens is abominations come into the church of God. When abominations go into the church of God, God himself can't live there anymore. So God has to leave. In New Testament, Jesus comes on the scene. He leaves from the tabernacle. And he says, your house is left unto you desolate. So he leaves. The absence of Christ lends itself towards desolation. Yes? Under 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. 
if the sanctuary is cleansed or restored, then God can come back in and we get to go home. Let me emphasize the point in a different way. So here in Daniel 8, we have the people of God being cast down and trampled upon. In, in Daniel chapter 12, we have the people of God being cast down and trampled upon. The question from both areas is, how long shall it be? One says 2,300 days. The other one says 1,260 years. Either way it goes, there's a time element to it. Revelation 10, no more time. Why? Because he's going to do a special work. He's coming back into his temple. He's taking over. And he's going to fight for his children. Let me see this. You see this passage in Genesis chapter 17? It says, when Abraham was 19 years old and nine. That's, that's old English for just saying 99. The Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto him, I am almighty God. Now, again, if you go through all the seven churches, God always introduces himself as the solution before he gives the impossible uh, task for them to do. I am almighty God. Next, walk before me and be thou what? Everybody see that? God introduces himself as the Almighty before he tells him to do something that is beyond his own strength. I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Watch. Christ's Object Lessons, 332, paragraph 4. Listen, my friends. The heavenly intelligences will work with the human agent who seeks with determined faith that perfection of character which will reach out to perfection in action. Wait, does it say that you're doing that by yourself? To everyone engaged in this work, Christ says, I am at your right hand to do what, my friends? To help you. I am at your right hand to help you. You don't have to do this alone. In fact, as the will of man. Now, this was one, of, when I found this quotation, it just, it just man, my brain said, this is impossible. Watch, watch this. As the will of man cooperates with the will of God, it becomes omnipotent. What? Please. I, maybe I just don't know English real good. Help me out. You know, maybe this is Ebonics or something. Omnipotent. What does omnipotent mean? No, say it louder. What does omnipotent mean? All powerful. So, I read it again. As the will of man cooperates with the will of God, it, the will of man, becomes omnipotent. What? Whatever is to be done at his command may be accomplished in his, what's it say? Whatever is to be done in his command is to be accomplished in his strength. All his biddings are what? My friends, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, okay. You see, back in the day, you know, you'll look at, and I, listen, I'll tell you this. So I, I grew up in the Adventist church, and I've never been afraid of hellfire. I've never been afraid of end time events. 
The reason why? Because I didn't care. If God created me and you want to burn me, go ahead. You, you're, not going to, you're, you're not going to scare me into heaven. It's not going to, it's not going to work. You'd be like, the Pope is coming tomorrow. I'd be like, okay. Do you know what got my heart, though? You know what got my heart? When I saw prophecy in the light of how God presents it, he presents it as if I am God. And in order for me to prove to you I'm God, I'm going to tell you the things that are going to happen before they happen. He's not even asking you to believe on him directly. He says, I'm going to show you what's going to happen before it happens, and when it comes to pass, you can believe. Do you see it? It's winsome. Uh, if I met my wife first day, walk up to her, be like, hey, God told me you're going to marry me. Uh, if she's a smart woman, she'll run. No, no, if I saw that this is what God wanted, then at this point, I'm not just going to prophesy to her, I'm going to win her. Prophecy is designed to be winsome. Yes, there are forebodings, there's, there's challenges, but look, if God said, Babylon, Media, Persia, Greece, Rome, Papal Rome, United States of America, spiritualism, if he marks all that down, then why am I going to be like, well, salvation? Nah, it's not going to work. Yo, he just told me everything's going to happen. So if he marks out everything in this detail and gives me all these things in his order and I see all of it coming to pass, why won't I trust, trust him? Why won't I trust him? No, he doesn't want to scare you into heaven. He's not going to do it that way. No one's going to heaven that was afraid. <laughs> the only people that are going to go there are those that love him. Those are the only ones going. What I see, my friends, is I, as we've been perusing all these passages, I'll just, I'll just nail it down to a short nutshell. The Almighty has sent the angel of the covenant to give us assurances that he will fight for us and with us in these last hours of our history. That if we let him do his supernatural work in our lives, then the world will see the reality of the gospel and we can get off this planet. The issue at this moment in time, and I'll repeat it when I speak to you again, the issue at this moment in time is that Jesus is doing something special in the most holy place and his people are doing something else. Jesus is restoring and rebuilding and establishing his church, and his church is doing something else. But what would happen? Before I ask that question. So a, a, about a year and a half ago now, babe, I don't know, I had a Bell's palsy. Anybody know what Bell's palsy is? So I had Bell's palsy. This part of my face was straight, like, whoosh. I'll never forget it. God allowed it to happen to me on purpose. But I remember trying to communicate with my face and my face not responding. I remember literally going to the mirror, trying to smile, and I looked like the Joker. And I love smiling. I think it's wonderful to smile. I think it brightens people's days up. I think it's a wonderful spiritual interaction to smile, but I couldn't smile. My face was paralyzed. And I remember I was invited to speak at the regional ASI up, up there in uh, New England. And I told the Lord, I'm not going. I look strange. <laughs> the Lord said, well, Andre, can you speak? 
I said, yes. He said, did I make donkey speak? I said, yeah. So why don't you go speak? And the thing that came to my mind as I went to speak and the Lord blessed, I mean, it was just the Holy Spirit moved. I know he moved. But the thing that came to my mind was that the head is doing the work, but the body is not responding. The head is doing the work. He's sending signals down to the hands, and the hands aren't moving. He's sending signals down to the feet, and the feet aren't moving. Do you realize the promise in Genesis 3.15 says, and the seed will crush the head of the serpent. And I read this in, in, in the book of Ephesians. I want to show it to you. In the book of Ephesians, it says this. Go there, Ephesians chapter 1. Watch what it says. The head is seeking to communicate with the body. The body is not responding but there is a work that should be done here. What does it say? Ephesians chapter 1. Let's start at verse 20. It says, Which he wrought in Christ when he raised from the dead, and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, for far above principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and have put all things under his feet. And gave him, speaking of Jesus, to be the head over all things to the church. But what is the church? Which is his body? Wait, Jesus is the head. The church is the body. If the serpent's head is supposed to be crushed, then the signal must go from the head to the foot and execute. But the church can never crush the head of the serpent when it's paralyzed. And what paralyzes us, my friends? Tell me, what par- tell me what paralyzes us. What paralyzes us? Sin. And notice, when I say sin, I'm not talking about the apostasy that's in the church, the apostasy that's in the world. I'm talking the apostasy that's right here. This apostasy, the one that's not on YouTube, this apostasy, the apostasy that's in our hearts, in our subtle rebellion against God, where he's seeking to do a supernatural, do you understand? He wants to take his finger and write his law in our hearts. When he says, thou shalt not steal, you know what that is, my sister? A promise. Thou shalt not commit adultery. That's a promise. Thou shalt not bear false witness is a promise. These are all promises. Keep my Sabbath day holy is a promise. All God's biddings are his enablings, and you can accomplish it in his strength. His strength. His strength. Are you living your life in your own strength? Are you trying to be a Christian without Christ? Are you preparing for the last days without the king of days? Let's go to our niece.
Father, you are the angel. You have sent your messenger and your son. You have given us great revelation. In the books of Daniel and Revelation, throughout all of Scripture, you have revealed over and over and over and over and over again this covenant relationship where you promise to write your law in our heart, where you say you are the Almighty God, where you claim responsibility for us. You do it over and over and over and over and over, and we fight, we fight, we fight, we fight, and we don't yield. You're in your final work. And today, we're not waiting for any calamity outside, Father. Today, we can usher in, we begin to usher in your kingdom. Your king, my king is coming. But he cannot be our king if his law is not in our hearts, brothers and sisters. Father, please, those who have opened their hearts to you this this morning, Father, take them for we cannot give them. They are your property. Keep them for we cannot keep them ourselves. Please, Father, with your supernatural finger, write your law in our hearts. We are so tired. We're so tired. We need you, Father. We need your strength. Help us to believe. Help our unbelief. Show up special, Father. Show up special. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayer. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, and we claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.